Pastor Tim Keller's middle wayism strikes again. Pastor Tim Keller is quadrupling down in a recent Twitter thread to do all that he can to carry water for progressive Christians, if that's even a thing, and convince himself that his middle wayism that he's been peddling for years hasn't killed the babies that it clearly has. And in this Twitter thread, Tim Keller says that the Bible doesn't tell us the best way to decrease or end abortions. Therefore, we cannot tell other brothers and sisters in Christ how to vote. In fact, we must seek and maintain Christian unity with brothers and sisters who believe that the best way to end abortion is to vote for the very people sworn to uphold and expand it. How's that for a doozy? But Pastor Tim Keller has been doing this for years, and I may be one of the most (laughs) uh, (coughs) constant critics of Pastor Tim Keller, if you've listened to my talks before, because of the rot that he represents in American evangelicalism, this neither left nor right, this pretending to be apolitical while only speaking out publicly on issues that support left-wing priorities while almost never coming out and speaking to support right-wing or conservative priorities, namely the protection of life in the womb. And this is deadly because Pastor Tim Keller is giving spiritual license for Christians who follow him and look to him as a leader— and someone who has discipled them to give them spiritual license to vote for the very people lynching unborn neighbors in the womb. And isn't it interesting that he says these comments days before we have the leaked Supreme Court justice draft opinion that as it stands now, with how the votes are tallied now, the Supreme Court would overturn Roe versus Wade by allowing the Mississippi 15-week abortion ban to stand in the Dobbs versus Jackson Women's Health Organization lawsuit. Hey, Pastor Tim Keller, I guess the best way to decrease abortions is to vote Republican. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted. Welcome to the show today, guys. Uh, I hope that long intro got you fired up. Uh, As you know, we talk about anything and everything on this show as it pertains to life because abortion is the litmus test of the republic. And it's the reason why the rest of the country is disintegrating before our very eyes. Our tolerance of abortion has enabled the massive expansion and growth of the government. And now we see that on nearly any every other issue. Well, Pastor Tim Keller is combining a couple of those issues in recent comments. Uh, the issues between um, sort of gay marriage or idolatry and abortion and is insisting on his middle way, which I have spoken about before is incredibly dangerous. It's this belief that because Christians aren't overtly political, they're, they're overtly what? Uh, spiritual, right? We're, we're sons and daughters of God. Therefore, that, that, that thing of politics, that dirty business of politics, maybe that's not really for us as Christians. You know, and, and it's this truncated, myopic view of what the Great Commission means or what the gospel means to, to, to mean an abdication of or of a removal <clears throat> from the public square. Because if you start getting political, start running for office, start campaigning for politicians who would end abortion, well, now, now you're just, you're creating an idol out of politics. You're real, your real God is not God anymore. 
It's power. Well, as Dietrich Bonhoeffer once said, political actions means taking on responsibility. This cannot happen without power. Power is to serve responsibility. Power, like money, is not intrinsically bad. The love of money is the roots of all kind of evil. Scripture doesn't say money is the roots of all kind of evil. It's the same thing with power. Power is not in and of itself intrinsically bad. The love of power, sure, the idolatry of power, but we should wield power and utilize power just like we utilize anything else God has given us to be stewards of. Stewards of our money, stewards of power, stewards of relationships, of influence, right? Of property, of all of these things that can be used in a way to honor God. And yes, politics, political actions means trying to secure power to wield it effectively for righteous means. And the left has been doing that for decades. But that kind of talking, this idea of trying to get power, really freaks out woke progressives and allegedly apolitical Christians. Now, I think that Tim Keller is actually anything but apolitical. I think he's a leftist. <laughs> I think he's a, a progressive Christian. By the way, when can we stop using that word, that phrase? I guess I've been sort of indoctrinated into using it as well. I, I saw this great joke the other day. It said, what's the difference between an atheist and a progressive? of Christian, and then it said, it was a meme, and it said, at least the atheist doesn't pretend to follow Jesus. <laughs> I mean, at what point can we stop using that phrase, progressive Christian, or a Christian who deconstructed? You know, deconstruction, Christians that deconstruct, what we used to call that um, apostasy. <laughs> we have words for these things. Uh, I think we should stop using the word progressive Christian, just like we shouldn't use the word biological male, because it it insinuates that there's such a thing as a non-biological male, uh, progressive Christian. Anyways, so I think Pastor Tim Keller is actually very political because he always carries water for the left. He always provides cover for the left wing or left-leaning Christians, allegedly. Um, but he he never has anything to say about the importance of conservative Christians promoting their worldview and their ideology in the public square. But he's always talking about systemic racism, right? About how Christians have to get involved in fighting systemic racism. And, and how he, he once said that speaking out against these um, uh, moral issues, namely slavery, are not optional for their, the believer, they're moral requirements. He said that in, in a uh, New York Times uh, opinion editorial from 2018, which I'll, I'll quote from in a little bit here. But when it comes to abortion, he doesn't have the same kind of language. So, Tim Keller is simply doing what scripture warns us of, of the people who say peace, peace, when there is no peace. There has not been peace in the womb for nearly 50 years in this country. And Tim Keller insists and trots around saying, peace, 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 the middle way, peace. You can vote for the very politicians who run on the promise of lynching the unborn in the womb, promise to expand, protect it, and fund it with your tax dollars because peace, 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 peace. Well, there, there is no peace. And it's very interesting that his recent comments have come days before we just heard that the Supreme Court had some of their draft opinions leaked through some uh, clerk, probably for Sotomayor, showing that the Supreme Court intends to overturn Roe versus Wade. So for all of Tim Keller saying the Bible doesn't tell us who we can vote for, you know, there's Christian liberty of conscience to kind of vote for Democrats or Republicans today. God doesn't really care about your vote. We shouldn't break unity over abortion with 
with Democrats in our church who say they're pro-life but vote for the very people who kill the unborn. Peace, peace, peace. And yet if Roe v. Wade gets overturned and the votes stay as they currently stand, why will that have happened? Guys, why will that have had have, have, have had happened? Uh, because uh, a bunch of Christians who understood that their responsibility to Christ um, demands political involvement voted for Trump, who got three Supreme Court justices on the court, who are the only reason that Roe v. Wade will get overturned, <laughs> which sends it back to the states, <clears throat> will Im immediately save thousands of unborn children, millions in the future. And then, of course, we begin the battle of ending abortion state by state, or more ideally, banning it at the federal level. So th those are my introductory comments. Um, we did a whole episode recently called The Shepherds Who Became Wolves. And in that um, episode, we addressed Tim Keller. So you can go listen to a fuller treatment of that if you'd like. However, I want to look at his Twitter thread here. I'm going to respond to a lot of this kind of just off the cuff. I, I have some thoughts about this, of course, because I've read it. But we're just going to kind of do this conversationally, you and I. I don't have a, a like an entire essay of thoughts prepared for this because I think a lot of it is just so self-evident. I think the, the problems with Keller's approach are so obvious here that we could just identify them together, which is really sad for someone who has such a big platform and is allegedly su such a smart man. So we'll go through these. Here's what Tim Keller says. Here's here's the first tweet in his thread, okay? Remember, this this is coming. He, he puts this out weeks, two months at most, before we have a decision about Roe v. Wade getting overturned um, in one of the most politically consequential years for protecting the unborn, with Democrats polling in the lowest numbers we have ever seen, Biden at like 36% approval. I think Kamala Harris might be even lower um, with, with California and Maryland trying to decriminalize freaking infanticide, with infants being murdered through partial birth abortion in Washington, D.C., with all of that going on, this is the middle way, the middle route that Tim Keller chooses to pick. Like, if he was ever going to get morally clear on abortion and just freaking call it child sacrifice and say we need to repent as a nation and get Republicans elected to ban abortion, this would be the moment. While we're talking about infanticide, and, and so I just want you to like pause for a moment and recognize that with, with all of that kind of pro-abortion agenda and forward movements of the secular moral revolution going on, this is what he chooses to focus on, okay? Get rid of your Tim Keller books. Do not buy them for fellow believers. Do not buy them for new Christians to encourage them in their walk. Do not trust this man. Here's why. He says, here are two biblical moral norms, okay? One, it is a sin to worship idols or any... God other than the true God. And two, do not murder. If you ask evangelicals if we should be forbidden by law to worship any other God than the God of the Bible, they'd say no. He continues, he says, we allow that terrible sin to be legal. But if you ask them if Americans should be forbidden by law to abort a baby, they'd say yes. Now, why make the first sin legal, idolatry, right? and never talk about it, and the second sin illegal, and make it a main moral slash political talking point. Okay, pause. Okay, so do you see what he's doing here? This middle wayism, does it just leave a nasty taste in your mouth? I hope it does. I hope it does. Because he's saying that Christians are not demanding the power of the state to prevent idol worship, but they are demanding the power of the state to prevent abortion. And he literally says, why make the first sin legal and the second illegal? 
And then he says, he continues, he says, at the very least, it shows a lack of knowing how to apply the Bible to politics. I think the only one who doesn't know how to apply the Bible to politics is Tim Keller. He says, since we can't simply say, if the Bible says it is sin, it should be illegal. How do we choose which morals to politically champion? And please don't say, I just want to see the Ten Commandments made law in society. Okay, so let me, let me give some comments on here, okay? So why is this difference? Maybe if you're, you know, just tuning into this show or you're tuning into broader cultural issues and shows that talk about these issues, maybe you would be persuaded by this. Maybe not. I hope not. But let me, let me debunk it just to assume ignorance and for this clip to hopefully get to others who look to Tim Keller for some, um, for some reason. Why would Christians not want to utilize the power of the state to ban idol worship, but do want to use the power of the state to ban abortion? Because the role of civil government is not to expose or combat false ideas about God. That's the role of the church. The role of the government, okay, is to protect its citizens, to uphold natural rights, at least in America. That's what this republic was built upon. Let me say that again. The role of the government, of the state, is not to expose and combat false ideas about God. Idol worship is obviously just that, right? However, it is the role of civil government, the state, to protect its citizens. This is why we have laws against murder. I mean, this come on, this is not that complex. The, the reason abortion is wrong is the same reason that infanticide or child abuse is wrong. Because it, it's not right for parents or anyone else to intentionally kill innocent human beings. Abortion intentionally kills an innocent human being, therefore abortion is wrong. So the same laws that prohibit harming or killing born people ought to also prevent harming or killing unborn people because they're both people and our rights flow from our human nature, which we had at the moment of conception. There you go. Oh, it's, it's really that simple, guys. It really is. It is the role of the church to engage, debunk, and expose false ideas about God in the spiritual realm, combating idolatry. Secondly, if we gave the state the power to combat idolatry, right, then who gets to define that? And, and assuming that most of the people doing so would not be Christians, then how would they define idolatry? Who's their God? Who are they really serving and worshiping? Right, the reason our founders wanted to build America was to create liberty, Christian liberty to worship God as he commands and as you see fit, right? But also for other religions. Religious freedom allows people to choose Christ. If you use the power of the state to ban idol worship, right, and arrest people for idol worship, which is anything, right, because the heart is an idol factory. Unfortunately, our iPhones and Netflix have become idols, right? We can make our families idol. Like, that's the thing. Idol worship can be something so large. So one, how do you define it? How do you enforce it, <laughs> right? And thirdly, <clears throat> doing so actually prevents people from willingly choosing Christ themselves, okay? It's the same reason why God doesn't just get rid of all evil in the world, because he'd also have to get rid of us. It's the reason why he doesn't force people to worship him, 
but he he wants us to choose him because if we don't choose him, it's not really volitional. Okay, so these seem pretty basic concepts, except I guess to Tim Keller. So that's why Christians don't want to use the power of the state to ban idol worship, but we do want to use the power of the state to ban abortion. Okay, Tim Keller says, uh, and please don't just say, oh, I just want to see the Ten Commandments made law in society. He says, that's too simplistic and we don't do this already. Right, because one of those commandments is worship no other gods, right? Again, that, for the same reasons I already said. The Bible tells us that idolatry, abortion, and ignoring the poor are all grievous sins, but it doesn't tell us exactly how we are to apply these norms to a pluralistic democracy. He says we are to help the poor, but the Bible doesn't tell us which political strategy, namely high taxes and government services versus low taxes and private charity, we are to use. The Bible binds my conscience to love the immigrant, but it doesn't tell me how many legal immigrants to admit to the U.S. every year. <laughs> so, <coughs> excuse me. <coughs> so, Pastor Tim here obviously does not consistently apply biblical principles to his politics, right? The Bible talks about the importance of borders, of walls, of cities, Having borders, <laughs> or because otherwise you don't actually have a city or a nation, do you? If it's not delineated, if it's not clear who's in and who's out, who's a citizen and who isn't. But Tim Keller's not interested in preaching the full counsel of God. He never has been. By the way, this idea of high taxes, right? He says, like, how are we to help the poor? Like, high taxes and government services, right? That's called socialism. That's how nations are destroyed, is just by running up taxes, inflation, printing money while doing it by claiming that you're compassionate because you're trying to provide a nanny state, loving, compassionate solution to those who are disadvantaged. Well, the Bible does talk about personal responsibility, right? It does talk about if you won't work, you shouldn't eat. It does talk about not stealing, right? But, but Tim Keller, again, is not interested in applying that. He's choosing this middle wayism. Here's the problem. When you stand in the middle of the road, you're going to get run over by a truck. And I think Pastor Tim Keller is working overtime right now to sort of douse the flames um, of his entire uh, theolo- his t- entire public theology, which has only led to chaos because it's encouraged Christians and Christian leaders who look to him and have been influenced by him to do whatever they want politically. It encourages them and tells them that, that God is not sovereign over your politics. He's not sovereign over your public view of the world. As long as you just worship him on Sundays and tell some people about him, he doesn't care how you engage the public and the culture, but he does. And I think that the last two years have shown how much damage the middle way approach to politics has wrought. And Tim Keller is watching his entire public theology burn to the ground because it's accomplished nothing. And now he's quadrupling down by trying to convince people that the middle way is still the compassionate Christian way. Tim Keller continues here. He says, I know abortion is a sin. Okay, here we go. This is, the, this is the same thing he's been saying for years. It's what I critique him for saying in his Facebook post in September of 2020, right before the election. He says, but the Bible doesn't tell me the best political policy to decrease or end abortion in this country, nor which political or legal policies are most effective to that end. The current political parties will say that their policy most aligns morally with the Bible. But we are allowed to debate that. And so our churches should not have disunity over debatable political differences. Oh my gosh. So it, it's, it's a debatable political difference as to 
which political party is the most aligned with the Bible. The fact that he thinks that, the fact that he thinks it's debatable, that that it's a what, that it's a issue that's not worth dividing over. It's not a hill worth dying on. That's his way of saying there is no clear answer. If there was a clear, overtly clear answer to that question about which party most aligns with the Bible and biblical principles, if there was, then he would not be saying that it's debatable. The very fact he's saying that is is his middle wayism striking again. Literally, go to the GOP and the DNC's website and read their party platforms. Just put them next to one another. Some pastors have done this, by the way. It's very helpful. And just read them and go through them. The Democrat Party platform is the party of Satan. Everything they push. What is it about progressivism that makes you want to carve up kids? Let's just ask that question. Carve them up in the womb, and if they're born, carve them up outside the womb by convincing them that boys can be girls and girls can be boys, and they need to chop off their genitalia and mutilate it to make the... Uh, outside feel more like the inside. By the way, that's a heresy. It's called Gnostic dualism, that the body doesn't matter. All that matters is who we feel we are on the inside. We're not embodied and fleshed human beings. We're just souls, and the body means nothing, so you can change the outward to make you to more uh, mirror how you feel the inside is. That's a heresy. The church has labeled it as such, but the Democrat Party platform is fully on board with that, and Tim Keller, I guess, sees no way in which one could say that the Republican Party and their platform best aligns with scripture. He says, it is also why I have never publicly or privately told Christians who they should vote for. Right, except you've said that they can vote for whoever they want, which which leads to more unborn babies being killed because the church is the only institution that can hold government to account and when mobilized and unified under a common banner has massive political power to vote godly men and women into positions of power and to and to recall people who are killing babies, if the church was awakened and the pastors and pulpits were ablaze with righteousness, the church together in America could ban abortion nearly immediately. Um, But he doesn't want to do that, right? He doesn't want to ban abortion. He says, I have also never told anyone they should vote Democrat or Republican. Depending on the policy, we can find more or less more or less alignment with biblical morals. I believe all Christians should be active in politics, but it is unwise to identify Christianity with any particular party. Wow. Wow. So one of the problems I have with Tim Keller is that he does not consistently apply his comments about Christian engagement on racism um, to the same way he applies his Christian comments on public engagement to abortion. There's a vast chasm between his two comments on those issues. For example, in his New York Times opinion editorial in September of 2018 called How Do Christians Fit Into a Two-Party System? They Don't, he says... American Christians in the early 19th century that did not speak out against slavery because that was what we would now call getting political were actually supporting slavery by doing so. To not be political is to be political. Isn't that interesting? So Tim Keller's saying that if you weren't getting Republicans elected, if you weren't getting political to end slavery as Christians during slavery, okay, then you weren't apolitical. You were actually very political and you were supporting the, the status quo, the status quo of slavery, through your pretending to be apolitical. 
Now do yourself, Tim Keller. By pretending to be apolitical and neither left nor right today on abortion, you're actually supporting the social status quo of abortion. To not be political is to be political. But Tim Keller would never apply his comments on Christian silence or support of slavery to Christian silence and support of abortion, despite the fact that abortion and slavery are wrong for the same reasons, and it's the same two political parties on either side of that divide. The Republican Party trying to end abortion and the Democrat Party trying to protect it, shore it up, fund it, and castigate those who dare dissent from their liberal regime. But he doesn't apply them because at the end of the day, Tim Keller is kind of a soft bigot. He, he doesn't believe the unborn child is intrinsically valuable enough to warrant political protection. Also in the New York Times, Keller says, racism is a sin, violating the second of the two greatest commandments of Jesus, to love your neighbor. The biblical command to lift up the poor and defend the rights of the oppressed are moral imperatives for believers, for individual Christians to speak out against egregious violations of these moral requirements is not optional. According to the Bible, says Tim Keller, it is not optional for you to remain silent. You actually must speak out against egregious violations of these moral requirements. What moral requirements? The ones he just said. Love your neighbor. Lift up the poor. Defend the rights of the oppressed. Who is the most oppressed neighbor in America today? The unborn. The only class of neighbors that it's legal to kill. Tim Keller says on racism and other egregious violations of these moral requirements, Christians must speak out against them. Love their neighbor. Uh, what, how do we speak out in America? Is there a political system that maybe our founders gave us that gave us an incredibly powerful way to speak out against egregious moral behaviors? Oh, right, our vote. To pass laws to illegalize egregious moral behaviors, okay? So Because law is an incentive. And, and then, therefore, laws against thing are a disincentive, saying don't do this thing and there's consequences if you do. That's the best way to speak out against those things is to actually pass laws to protect individuals who are being oppressed, namely the unborn. Oh, so what's the best way to do that, Tim? Vote for Republicans. And, and get the squishy, spineless Republicans out of office to get godly, courageous ones in there who will actually end abortion. But do you see, do you see the chasm? Do you see the hypocrisy between his comments on slavery and Christian engagement in the public square and his middle wayism on abortion? It's unbelievable that these, that these are debatable political differences, he says. And that's why he would never tell people how they should vote. Well, the Bible does tell us to speak up for those who cannot speak for themselves What's the best way to speak up for the unborn who cannot speak for themselves? Pass laws that say you cannot kill them. Oh, that means voting Republican. And we're seeing that now, right, with the Supreme Court justices. If their vote stays the same from the leaked draft opinion that came out, then Roe v. Wade's overturned. So Tim Keller always says, like, which, which political party does best at decreasing abortions? How about the one that overturns Roe versus Wade? Well, you had 2,500 people or more. Last night, as of this recording, May 3rd, at the Supreme Court, renting their garments and screaming for blood because it looks like the Supreme Court's going to overturn Roe versus Wade. Only in the la-la land syncretist world of Tim Keller's mind could one say that, <laughs> that you can decrease abortions by voting for the party sworn to uphold and protect abortions. Would he say that about anything else? 
hey, the best way to decrease instances of slavery and lynchings is to vote for the Democrat Party of the 1850s. No, you never say that. It sounds so stupid coming out of my mouth, doesn't it? By the way, this whole idea of you can vote for Democrats because Democrat policies actually decrease the abortion rate. Have you seen that talking point? By the way, it's totally false because uh, Bill Clinton, I believe it was Clinton, uh, stopped uh, making states report their abortion data. So therefore, we didn't have reliable data after that. But then people started saying, well, the abortion rate is decreasing. It didn't decrease. States just stopped reporting their data, okay? But, but, but that beside the point, okay? This idea that you can, you can vote for people who address the underlying causes of abortion that will decrease it. Did you know racists made a similar argument leading up before the Civil War? They would say that, well, actually, you know, it's those Republican states that favor abolition that are creating tension in their states because all the slave owners and plantation owners are accustomed to slavery. It's creating racial tension through their attempts to abolish, uh, abolish slavery. And so uh, vote for Democrats the step, because, you know, those Republican states have more racial hate crimes happening now because of those Republicans. So we look, look over in Alabama or other Southern states, we aren't having those racial uh, hate crimes and stuff. So, you know, Vote for Democrats, the party of slavery, to have less instances of racism? What in the world? <laughs> How stupid does that sound? But that's what Tim Keller and others kind of say is that, well, it is a debatable political difference. There's room for Christians who vote for Democrats who lynch the unborn if, if, if they believe that Democrat policies decrease abortions. Our goal is not to decrease abortions. It's to ban it. But Tim Keller says we need to maintain unity with these kind of Christians. So here's his last thread here. He says, I recently wrote about how churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. The replies show that many American evangelicals have no coherent understanding of how the Bible, how the, to relate the Bible to politics. And he says, here's my original tweet. Churches must not maintain unity at the expense of the gospel. Churches should not destroy unity or fellowship over political differences. Uh, now do slavery, Tim. Should we, should we destroy unity and fellowship um, with... Stephen Douglas, the alleged Christian slavery supporter who ran against Abraham Lincoln for the 1860 election, or any other Christian in churches in 1858 who owned slaves and voted to uphold slavery but said they were Christians? Should we maintain unity with those people? Something tells me Tim Keller would say no. And let's wrap up the episode with this. Did you know God breaks unity with the Israelites over their participation with and apathy toward child sacrifice? Yeah. Yeah. So if God breaks unity with the Israelites over their participation with and apathy with child sacrifice, why should Christians maintain unity with other alleged Christians who promote, vote for, and expand the child sacrifice of abortion? What are some examples? In Psalm 106, God tells the Israelites, he says, you've sacrificed your sons and daughters to demons. The land is desecrated with blood. So I give you over to be ruled by those who hate you. I give you over. That's, that's like non-unification language. I give you over to be ruled by others who hate you and hate me because of your participation with child sacrifice. Oh, Tim, Tim Keller would say, God, that's not very uni unifying. Peace, peace. There is no peace, Tim. Pick your side of the aisle. You've been run over by a truck for decades now. Why don't you wake up and start contending for the least of these, the oppressed minorities? What about Isaiah 1? Isaiah 1, God's addressing the Israelites once again for their complicity in child sacrifice. And he says, I don't want to hear your worship services. I don't want to hear your festivals. I don't want to hear your songs. I'm tired of it. I'm not listening to it. Why? He says, because your hands are full of blood. 
because the Israelites were walking down to the valley of Ben-Hinnom and cooking their infants and worshiping Moloch. And God said, I don't, I don't want to hear you. I'm not listening to you. Sounds like God might be breaking unity with the Israelites. And then Leviticus 20. Leviticus 20, God says that any of you who sacrifice your children to Moloch or turn your face from that man, that man over there, when he sacrifices one of his children to Moloch, then I will cut you off from among the people. <laughs> and then God says, you and all of you who follow after him in whoring, whoring yourselves after Molech. So God's saying not only those who sacrifice their children to Molech, he says, or that man who turns his face away from those other men when, when they do the, the child sacrifice thing. Yeah, that means that we're accountable too. Even if we don't participate in abortion, we just turn our face away and we allow it. What does that look like today? Not voting because you're allowing it or voting for the very people who lynched the unborn in the womb. You are that man in Leviticus 20, turning his face from those other people when they sacrifice their children to Moloch, and God says, I'm gonna cut you off from among the people. That's not very unifying, God. Why did you have to use that kind of language? You're making Tim Keller feel very uncomfortable. Yeah, good, about freaking time. About freaking time we make people feel uncomfortable and make them pick their side of the aisle, the battle. You're either with us to end the genocide of baby image bearers, or you're on the side of Satan and Moloch. There is no middle ground, right? The Holocaust survivor, Ellie Weisel, brilliantly once said that silence encourages the um, oppress, the oppressor, never the oppressed. Neutrality helps um, the, or the, yeah, the oppressor, never the oppressed. Silence encourages the tormentor, never the tormented. What's he saying? He's saying that there's no such thing as moral neutrality on the question of butchering Jews. Right. And there is no such thing as moral neutrality on butchering unborn babies because your middle wayism, your, your alleged new, neutral position is anything but neutral. It's actually siding with the genocide of babies. I think we should break unity with Christians who say they're Christians and vote for people who murder the unborn. We should approach them gently first. But if they continue in their pattern, we should break unity with them as we should with Tim Keller and his entire legacy, which I believe has actually led to the slaughter of countless unborn children because of the thousands and tens of thousands of Christians who have allowed Tim Keller to shape their public theology because they respect him and therefore are now voting for the very people killing the unborn, but they're convincing themselves that they're still Christians, that they still love the unborn. They just want to decrease it by voting for Democrats. How many babies do you think have been killed and continue to be killed because of the influence of Tim Keller on squishy apolitical Christians? That's a good question to ask. That's an interesting question to ponder. And I fear that the answer is frightening. Share this episode with your friends and those who respect Tim Keller. We need to take count of what sides Christian leaders are picking in the most consequential year. No, pause. The most consequential month, May of 2022, as the, the final decision from the Supreme Court is expected, maybe by June 1st, June 2nd, or June 3rd. It may not be an exaggeration to say this is the most consequential year for ending abortion and protecting the unborn in 50 years. Take note of the comments or the lack thereof and the silence from people like Rick Warren, Ed Stetzer, J.D. Greer, Matt Chandler, David Platt, Tim Keller, and others 
Where are they on this infanticide in D.C.? Where are they on decriminalizing infanticide in California? Where are they on this, the overturning of Roe versus Wade? Take note. Share this episode. Follow us on iTunes, Spotify, YouTube. Give us a rating and review. It really helps us reach more people. We really appreciate it. To sign up for my newsletter, to see what my speaking schedule is, or to hear me speak live and local, or to book me for an event, go to sethgruber.com. We really appreciate it. Buckle up. May's going to be bonkers. We need you equipped in the battlefield of abortion for the lives of the unborn. I'm Seth Gruber, and this is Unaborted.